Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are.
This work? Can you hear me now? All right. So what I did was I decided that I was going to find the first guy that I felt like I could get over on. So I found a guy that was around 68 years old, heavy set, just looked like he didn't know. You know, he wasn't hip to any of the new stuff. So I was going to be able to talk, uh, speak a certain language and do certain things that he'd know nothing about. And that way I could just kind of get over on him, right? Like he, you, you know what they say, they say fake it till you make it, right? I was going to play the game. I was going to get the heat off of my back. I was long enough to get back to doing the things that I wanted to do my way. So I learned the lingo in recovery, and I said the right things, and I would do all the right things and repeat the things they told me to repeat and show up to the places they told me to show up, make all the meetings they told me to go to. And I also would meet with him weekly at his house. Now, here was more evidence that I was fixing to get over on this, guys. When I would meet with him, we would sit in his kitchen at his kitchen table. He would be shirtless and odd, and he had two poodles. And I thought, here we go, you know what I mean? I'm going to get this guy, right? I was sure that I had him believing I was doing the deal until one day I realized the grin that he would frequently give me wasn't one of approval, but rather disapproval. I'd met my match. He saw right through me, and turns out he was laughing at me the whole time. And so I called him one day like he asked me to. That was part of the deal. You'll call me every day. If I don't answer, you leave a voicemail. No matter what, you just call me every day. And uh, I call him on this one particular day, and he says, Hey, won't you come over? We're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. Now, Um, I wasn't sure what that meant, and I didn't really understand what he was saying. However, he would frequently point me to the scriptures and talk about this man named Jesus that honestly I just really didn't care about. I was curious, though, why he was so confident in Jesus. But uh, So he would point me to the scriptures, and and we would often talk about these things. So all I knew when he said we're going to have a come-to-Jesus meeting was that uh, it it wasn't going to be that big of a deal because we often would 
would talk about Jesus, right? But once I got there, he sat me down and he said some really harsh things to me that hurt my feelings. See, I was a wannabe gangster that was very sensitive. So we started having a candid conversation, and he implied that he realized that I was being fake. I wasn't being honest. And then he even had the nerve to challenge me on my cousin and called me ignorant. So we went like this. He was like, Roger, can I ask you a question? I was like, yeah, what's up? He said, well, how come every other word you got to say a cuss word? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, that's just, that's who we've always been. That's the way my family talked. And it's just normal to me. And he said, no, I, I think you're just ignorant. And I was like, excuse me? You do remember, I told you I came out of prison, right? Like, are you crazy? And he's like, no, no, no. Ignorant doesn't mean you're stupid. It just means you have a lack of knowledge. Therefore, I believe that you just don't have the capacity to use a different word than what you're always using. And he would also go on and, to, and tell me that I was not only wasting his time, but I was wasting the time of the ones that I loved and the ones that loved me. So naturally, I was offended, and he, he recognized that, and he could tell that I wasn't really happy about the things that he had just shared with me. And so after saying those things to me, he asked me how I felt, and I told him. I was like, look, man, I think some of that was just unnecessary, and I feel like you uh, could have said things differently, and just to be honest with you, it kind of hurt my feelings, and I don't appreciate it. And he said, well, here's the deal. I don't care about your feelings. I care about your soul. And so for the first time in my life, I believe someone other than my own mother cared about me in a way that was genuine and real. He told me the truth when he knew the truth would hurt. He told me the truth because he knew the truth would be the only thing that could change me. Which brings us to the first ever come to Jesus meeting that's found in John chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. In some, uh, in some ways we could say this is where that whole concept or idea of, hey, we're about to have a come to Jesus meeting comes from is where Jesus meets Nicodemus. And so if you guys would, you can turn to John chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 or you can follow me along up here on the TVs as I read you the passage that we're looking at this morning, the first ever come to Jesus meeting. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Jesus was a Jew, so this was his own people. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus in verse 3 says, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, any time in the Bible when Jesus or God or a prophet of God speaking and they say something twice, that's for emphasis reason. You need to hear what I'm fixing to say because this is really, really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? It's the word of the Lord, amen? And so let's do a quick profile just so we understand who Nicodemus is and why this is important or it wouldn't make as much sense. So I'm going to explain to you quickly. Nicodemus wasn't just a religious man. He was a religious leader. He was one of the top Jewish religious leaders of his time. And he also was a part of the Sanhedrin, which had a lot of authority and power similar to what we would think of as the Supreme Court. So in, uh, in, in Judaism, the Sanhedrin, or the Jewish leaders, called usually the Pharisees, they had authority to deal with all civil matters, but also all religious matters. So they had all of the, the authority over their people, which means he also would have been wealthy and highly esteemed, and probably why he would approach Jesus by night to not be seen interacting with this guy who comes on the scene and is quickly gaining followers and becoming well-known for his new teachings and miracles performed. In John chapter 2, we know that he'd already turned water into wine, right? So there's a big buzz going around. So Nicodemus is curious about who this guy is, and so he wants to meet with him to have a conversation. And honestly, that conversation probably would have looked like Nicodemus trying to tell Jesus how he was wrong about things. So it's also important to consider that Nicodemus would have had much of the Old Testament memorized. Can you imagine that? And he'd been very familiar with the promise of a Messiah who would come and reign and rule over Israel, restoring the kingdom. Therefore, he was a teacher of the law. He was a keeper of the law. He was a protector of the law. And he enforced the law with passion. And why it was necessary for Jesus to have a very candid conversation with him because religion had has no place in a conversation with Jesus. Religion has no place in a conversation about Jesus. Jesus hates religion. Jesus hated the Pharisees not because it was a personal issue. It wasn't because of who they were, like Nicodemus and Tom and Bill and Bob. He didn't have an issue with them. He had an issue with what they stood for that you had to do all these things so that you would be right with God. And I don't know this, obviously, but I imagine seeing uh, Nicodemus approaching Jesus with that same grin on Jesus' face that Earl had when he was dealing with me. 
Because Nicodemus was playing a part. Nicodemus knew all the right things to, to say. Nicodemus actually had his entire life in order. Like he was probably one of the best human beings in terms of good deeds that was alive during those times. But he was totally lost. He didn't even know Jesus. And if he had died before this particular secret meeting, he would have went to hell. Hell's real, guys, right? And we know that because of verse 2. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God. Now quickly, I need you to know that in the previous passage, which is just John chapter 2, verse 25, it's the verse before John chapter 3, verse 1, John tells us that Jesus knew what was in man. Because he was omniscient, which means, all that, that's a fancy word for all-knowing, right? He knows all things, which makes him God in case you are in question of that. You can't know what's on the inside of man in their hearts and in their minds unless you are God who knows all things, right? Which means Nicodemus says, hey, I know, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God, and he's talking to who? God. He had no clue exactly who Jesus was. And it's very important because Jesus knew what Nicodemus was thinking and what his plan was before he even responded to Nicodemus. It's similar to, it's not the same because Earl was not God and all-knowing, but it was similar to Earl seeing through my shenanigans, which, by the way, I thought was an Oscar award-winning role. Like, I really thought I was getting over on this guy, right? But thankfully, by the grace of God, Earl was a Christian, and Earl knew that addiction and alcoholism is a life-and-death situation. He sat me down to tell me the truth because I too was on a highway to hell and didn't even know it. And I want you to understand when I say that, what I mean is if you'd have asked me, Roger, do you believe in God? I would have said, yeah, I believe in God. But I didn't know God and God didn't know me. And that's what's so dangerous about Religion, it looks good on the outside. It checks all the boxes for the appropriate church membership. But at the end of the day, it's useless. And listen, it's equally condemning as the serial killer or the serial rapist who never went to church in their life. Hey, that's hard right there. Right? Like, so there's Adolf Hitler and there's Mother Teresa. Every one of you would say, well, surely Mother Teresa went to heaven, but Adolf Hitler didn't. When in reality, and this is just for example, it's not because I know Mother Teresa didn't, but if Mother Teresa did not trust in Christ, she too would not be in heaven. Guys, that's hard, right? For me to even say that out loud is hard because it seems so radical and wrong but it's a perfect illustration as to how Nicodemus must have felt in his encounter with the response that Jesus gives in verse 3. Can you imagine? 
Nicodemus is approaching Jesus, and he's like the ruler of the Jews and the leader of his religion. And here's Jesus doing things that is is outside of his religion. So in his mind, he's like, I'm about to go, I'm about to give this dude the business, right? Like I'm about to teach him, I'm about to correct him and help him understand that he can't be doing some of these things. He can't be claiming he's God, right? But Jesus wastes no time to getting to the truth of things with Nicodemus. He cuts straight to the heart. Why? Because he loved Nicodemus. That's why. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? So yeah, you think I'm a teacher that comes from God, but you don't even know anything about God because you've yet to be born again yourself. You just follow a bunch of commands and do well, do well at it and ask everybody else to look a lot like you because you think you're the standard when, in fact, Jesus Christ is the standard, right? So this would have been mind-blowing and offensive to him. Like Jesus just tells him the truth. He gives it straight to him. And he says, look, you don't know me. You only know about me. Therefore, you can't see me for who I really am because you've not been born again. What that means is you don't have sight because you aren't right. Well, Roger, I've prayed before and I've said some things. And I know my cousin Susie, man, she's just passionate about Jesus. And I just can't seem to get there. And it's like, yeah, well, it's because you don't have sight. Because you've yet to get right. Well, how do I get right? Trust Jesus. Believe in Jesus, right? Jesus, uh, this is important, and and, and I want want you guys to hear me say this. God, we've already talked about, he's all-knowing. John 2, 25, he knew what was in man. That means Jesus could have selected anybody he wanted to to have this conversation with, yet He doesn't have the conversation with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all them. He has it with church folk. He he made that decision before it ever took place that that day Nicodemus would approach him so that he could make sure to have the conversation with somebody who thought they were religious, that they were a part of the church so that we, the church this morning, could steer clear of making the same mistake that Nicodemus did. Because you can't argue, well, well Jesus had the encounter with, with Susie or Bob or Tom and they weren't religious, so surely there must be a mistake. No, he had it with church folk. So church folk could later say, man, I need to make sure I'm not Nicodemus. Am I making the same mistake he is? And I can tell you that this confusion still exists today. And why, to be very frank with you, this is not a popular message, guys. Many of you aren't going to leave here and think, man, I just feel like I am, you know, blessed and highly favored right now. It's just not. And I get that, man, but truth is truth. And and, and I'm failing you if I'm not willing to tell you what's true, right? So I can tell you that there's confusion that still exists today. And why, to be very frank with you, by large, not all, by large, whole whole church-wise, not every church, but like Billy Graham used to say, one of the greatest evangelists of all time, he said 85% of the cars parked in church parking lots on Sunday are going to hell, and they don't even know it. They've been deceived. 
They think they're a Christian, and I'm going to talk about why here in a minute, but because they think they're a Christian, they think they're going someplace that they're not actually going. American Christianity is not a biblical Christianity. But before we go throwing stones at Nicodemus, right, like how could you have been so stupid? Like, gee whiz, you you memorized the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament's telling us that Jesus is coming, right? I need some of you to see how what Jesus said is really no difference than what you've already been told. I'll give you an example. Quick show of hands. How many of you would identify as a born-again Christian? Three of you? Great. Now, let me tell you why I did that. Because you're just as confused as Nicodemus is, and you don't even know it. Why? Because there's no such thing as a Christian who hasn't been born again. So to say that you're a born-again Christian is to say that I'm a Christian Christian. Well, that's awful Christian of you. Was it times two or something? There's no such thing as a Christian who's not born again. So, look, guys, I've done that a thousand times. Bro, I'm a born-again believer, baby. You know what I mean? Like, that's better Christian than someone who else is not. I don't know. Point is, when you say you're a born-again Christian, you're saying that you are a Christian Christian because there's no such thing as someone being a Christian who's not born again. Look, man, I'm just a born-again believer, like trusting Jesus to the best of my ability, right? All right, so let me show you uh, just uh, how uh, what Jesus is saying is uh, to Nicodemus would be similar or different, or actually different than what um, you've been told by church people. Jesus says, you must be born again. You, mu- you know what must means? Must. Like, you have to. There's no negotiation or differences of opinion there. Like, you must be born again. Versus what the church has told many of you, if you'll repeat this prayer after me, you'll be saved. Right? All you got to do is say this prayer, and trust me, you don't even have to come to church anymore. All you got to do is say that prayer. Or Jesus says you must be born again versus how many of you in here want Jesus as your Savior? Just raise your hand, right? And people raise their hand, right? And then they'll tell them if you raised your hand, then now you're a Christian. So when they leave, guess what they think? They're a Christian, a lot of times there's not even a gospel presentation or anybody under. Who in here wouldn't want Jesus as a Savior if hell was real? It's like, yeah, hey, that's a good idea. I'll take Jesus. Give me two. Because my brother said he's a born-again Christian. That means he's Christian Christian. <laughs> right? You must be born again. Versus, here, here's one here. You, Jesus says you must be born again versus, well, my family, uh, are, they're devout Catholics, they're devout Methodists, they're devout Baptists, and therefore, since they always gave a lot of money to the church or spent a lot of time serving the homeless and doing all those things, I must be a Christian too. I identify as a Christian. You can identify to whatever you want. I won't even go there right now. I identify as a Christian, Right? Well, Jesus says you must be born again. And this is the one that gets most people. Here's the deal. Jesus says you must be born again. And people say, I believe in God. Is I believe in God good enough to get to heaven? No. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that even the demons believe in God. So if the demons believe in God, are they going to heaven? No. You can't just say I believe in God and therefore I go to heaven, right? 
And so I'll be the first to admit that church people can be the worst people to deal with. However, I will say it's due to a gross misunderstanding of who the church really is. Bon Jovi used to sing a song about this, said, you give love a bad name, right? Like some of y'all are calling Christians that are Christians that aren't Christians, and then you're like, man, I'll tell you right now, if that's a Christian, I don't want to be a Christian. It's like, that's not fair. He's not a Christian. It's obvious. Like he's doing things repeatedly for a long period of time that does not identify with what the Bible says is a Christian. I would say you give grace a bad name, by the way. I would change it. Raj Jovi, and we would sing you give grace a a bad name. So in all fairness, we need to quit calling Christians Christians that aren't Christians. Stop it, right? If Nicodemus was confused, I realize some of you will be as well because we prefer easy believism. Raise the hand, repeat the prayer, just go to church, and, and surely God would want, for you, want you to be in heaven with him, right? And as I've already asked, I mean, who wouldn't want a Savior? Everybody wants to be saved, but nobody wants that Savior to be their Lord, the master of your life, Right? And so because uh, people start calling Christians Christians that aren't Christians, I have to answer questions like this. Well, how do you, Roger, how do you explain, fill in the blank, you know, Uncle Bob, he was a deacon out at Momo's Baptist Church in Tutu Town, Tennessee, and uh, he was there for 20, 25 years, and for whatever reason, uh, uh, he has an affair on his, uh, on my aunt, and he leaves her, and he gets with the woman who was in the choir, and they leave the church and walk away the faith. How do you explain? that if Christianity's so good, right? Well, it's by making the same mistake Nicodemus did. Assuming his association or affiliation what was, is what was necessary for salvation. Association and affiliation doesn't equal salvation, guys. This isn't, you don't, hey, put an attachment on that email when you send it and just put, call it Christian, all right? No, there are no attachment files that go to your uh, right standing with God. And this isn't something new because they dealt with this in the New Testament times. And I know that because of 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. This is what John says in that passage. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that all, that they are all not of us. So what would be evidence that someone's not really who you think you are? It's when they walk away and don't come back. And that's hard. I don't understand, right? He was as committed to the church as anybody else I've ever known. Like that dude would cry on every sermon and all this stuff. Man, I just really thought he loved the Lord. Well, and, and he may have, but he was not born again. Jesus says you must be born again. So this is what I know. I love you guys enough to tell you this morning, you're not a Christian because you came to church. You're not a Christian because you went to church. You're not a Christian because when you were in sixth grade, you went to church camp and they asked who wants to uh, love Jesus and have Jesus as their Savior, and you responded, but then there was no evidence that you actually did that because you lived in a way that the Bible would say is not what a Christian w- it, the way the Christian would live, right? And then we got kids who go to Christian schools, and we try to act like they're Christians because of the school that they go to. Your kid is not a Christian because they go to a Christian school, guys. 
That is an education that has a biblical worldview versus a secular worldview. It doesn't mean just because they went to that school they're a Christian. You're not a Christian because your grandma was. Right? A genuine believer and follower is someone who's been born again and marked or distinguished by a new nature with new desires. You want to know how I know I've been born again? Because at one time, as as, uh, unfortunate as this is and offensive as it may be to some of you, at one time all I could think about was criminal thinking, uh, selling drugs, and doing all these things. And then I had this encounter with Jesus where it radically transformed me. And all I could do was think about reading the Bible or going to church or talking about Jesus and doing all these things. There's no other explanation for how that change took place. Look, I'm not that smart. I didn't just wise up one day and be, you know, I've been sitting around kicking this idea around. I might just start doing the whole Jesus thing because that'll get me a lot of street creds, right? No. It's a new nature and new desire. And, And this is the part where most pastors feel obligated to defend and apologize for Christians who've made mistakes. Well, you're not implying that a born again uh, person is someone who's perfect. No, no, I'm imperfect and I follow a perfect Lord and Savior. Matter of fact, I follow him because he's perfect and I'm not. I'm not because we aren't and never will be perfect on this side of heaven. However, Jesus says in John chapter 10, no one can pluck the born-again believer out of his hand. And Romans chapter 8 would say, and we sang this in the song earlier, that nothing can separate us from God's love. And Paul would say in Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. Because although I may often fail at obeying God, the Spirit of God will carry me across the finish line. Man, that's good news. Christianity is the only religion where God does the work versus us working our way to God. Like it doesn't make sense because it's not meant to until you've been born Again, and why Nicodemus would also question Jesus about what he said. So we're going to quickly walk through that dialogue, verses 4 through 8, and I'll explain it as we go. Nicodemus responds to Jesus after he said, Truly, truly, unless you've been born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, right? And in verse 4, he says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Like, We all know that he didn't believe that. We all know that he wasn't actually assuming that that's what Jesus was saying. It's just that he was so confused he didn't know what the new birth meant. Now listen, one thing you need to understand is Pharisees believed in the resurrection. But they believed in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the people who were living. And that's what Jesus is trying to explain to him is, look, you are going to actually die a spiritual death, not a physical death, as a result of my life, my death, my burial, my resurrection. And when that happens, the Spirit will come and it will dwell inside of you and it will allow you to do things that you're not used to doing. 
That's, that's the new birth. That's the new creation, right? Jesus answered, truly, truly, emphasis, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. And there's a lot of, there's different schools of thoughts on this. However, I will tell you that um, I would land with, the Old Testament is uh, telling us over and over again that when the Spirit of God is present, it washes you from being unclean to clean. So the work of the Holy Spirit will wash you clean from all of your sins, right? And of course, being born of the Spirit is that the Spirit then dwells in you. Listen, in the Old Testament, the law was if I was considered unclean, I had leprosy or any of those things, if I was considered unclean and I went and touched a priest before doing all of these specific commands, that priest who was considered to be clean would also become unclean. But in the New Testament, with the good news of Jesus Christ, an unclean sinner can touch the hem of Jesus Christ and be healed and be made clean. That's different. That's different. So unless one's born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's God who makes you clean. That which is born of the flesh and flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, capital Spirit, S, is Spirit, lowercase Spirit. Now, seven, do not marvel, I said to you. Hey, don't be surprised, I'm telling you this, Nicodemus, but you must be born again. There's no other option. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you've done, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And, and then he gives this illustration that kind of puts some skin on it in a weird way. But eight, he says, the wind blows where it, wish, uh, where it wishes. All of you guys know that the wind exists, but you can't tell me where it's at and when it's coming because you don't know, right? You don't see the wind. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Listen, great, uh, or George Whitfield, one of the greatest uh, revival preaching evangelistics of all time in the 1800s, he's one of the first guys that took church outside of the walls and out into the lawn so he could reach more people. And he'd be preaching to thousands of people, and they would come, and he would preach the gospel, Christ crucified, and people would be in the crowd, and they would respond, and they would come forward. And he said, and, and a guy approaches him uh, uh, at the end of one of his sermons, and they say, hey, George, check us out. How do you know that all those people actually are saved? And his response was, time will tell. Time will tell who God just truly converted, who was born again. And that's the same thing Jesus is saying. We don't know where the, the wind comes or where it goes. We know it, it's with everyone who's born of the Spirit, right? And so this candid conversation prompts me as a shepherd of God's people who, by the way, will be accountable for your souls, not your feelings. I care about your feelings, but I care more about your soul to have a similar conversation this morning with you guys. So call it a come to Jesus moment or whatever you want to call it, but if I could have your attention without 22 bathroom breaks and slap tickling and poking, pinching each other and uh, tiddlywinking and talking about the game later or maybe even acting like what's on your phone right now is more important than what I'm saying, I need your attention because I really want you to hear some of these things that I've got to say. we got to be careful, guys, right? Some of you need to realize 
that you have not been born again. Others of you need to realize that you've been born again, but somewhere along the way you've drifted towards becoming religious. You're relying on religious good deeds more than you are on Jesus. And I know because there's evidence in Luke 15, the prodigal son, he was a child of the father who walked away from the father and then later comes to his senses and returns to the father. When he returns to the father, the father's got open arms and he says, hey, check this out. Put a robe on this brother. Cut up the fattened calf. We're about to we're about to celebrate. We're about to you know what the elder brother says, the one who didn't leave but stayed there and kept doing everything that the father told him to. He said, Hey, wait a minute, that ain't right. Why are you giving him more favor than you are me? I've been doing good the whole time. Bro, you only been doing good because I've let you do good. Right? So there's the prodigal son and the elder brother complex that the church is always going to deal with. So I want to tell you first what religion is. Religion says do, a relationship says done. Religion says you have to do this, 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 and this before you can be considered or you can accomplish what you're trying to do. It's works versus grace. Relationship says it's been done for you. There's literally nothing you can do to be saved, guys. Nothing. You cannot earn your salvation, right? Religion is also more focused on behavior modification versus a true personal relationship that's about transformation. Behavior modification versus transformation. We love you as long as you're doing these things versus I love you and I'm committed to you, good and bad, up and down, uh, drunk or high, uh, adulterous or not. Right? Like, I'm committed to you all the way through. We're going to continue to love you no matter what. Religion is when you add anything to being saved as the solution rather than Jesus. Right? Well, it's got to be King James only. If you don't read King James, you're clearly not, you're not a Christian. Right? you got to speak in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, then you're not a Christian. Jesus never spoke in tongues. I'm not even going to go there. Point is, if you add anything to the gospel, then you are teaching a false gospel. You got to be baptized or you won't go to heaven. A thief on the cross was promised to go to heaven. Never got baptized, right? I'm not saying don't speak in tongues. I'm not saying don't get baptized. I'm just saying if you say you have to, it's a false gospel, right? Religion. Now, that's religion in a nutshell. Let's talk about religious. Let's talk to some of the elder brothers in here. Religious is missing church, but not making sure you go back to hear the sermon from Sunday. Right? Hey, did you miss church Sunday? Yeah, couldn't make it. Understandable. Things happen. Did you go back and listen to the sermon? No. You only do that on Sunday, don't you? That doesn't make sense. That's the idea of being religious, is that I only listen to a sermon when I'm at church like everybody's supposed to be. Right? Religious is trying to find a person that you're more comfortable with rather than someone who shoots you straight. Point being, many of you in this room here this morning wouldn't have followed John the Baptist because of the way he dressed and the way he lived his life. He wouldn't have had name brand clothes. He wouldn't have lived in spring banks. He wouldn't have had a formal education. But people were following him left and right because he was the real deal. He was sincere. He was genuine. And they wanted what he had, right? Religious is wanting to come to church to see anyone other than Christ. Well, I heard they had a really good band over there. I think I'm going to go over there. They got strobe lights, rock shows, fog machines. Heck, the pastor zip lines in from the back of the and it ends up on the stage, right? 
That sounds like a pretty good time. Something about Jesus, too. I don't know. We'll, I'm sure he's pretty good. Speakers, right? Or the musicians. Like, it's just a heck of a Or your boyfriend. Well, if my boyfriend comes to church, then I'll go to church. If he don't go to church, I'm not going. Right? That's religious. You think you, have, you can only go when you want to see somebody other than Christ. Religious is being in leadership, but playing on your phones during the sermon. Religious is being in church leadership and playing on your phones during the sermon. Right? This one cut me like a knife. This convicted me. So much that last week when Nick was preaching, I came up here and sat in the second row. Right? Because for some reason, religious says, now that I'm in church leadership, I can sit all the way in the back and pinch each other and cut up and chuckle, and I have to listen to the sermon. That doesn't make sense. Right? That's religious. Religious is coming to church to work rather than be reminded of the work that's been done for you. This one got me too. I don't know, Brittany, cut me some slack. Give me a break. Like the, Sunday, that's my job. They pay me to do these things. I've got to get over there and make sure everybody sees me and they hear from me and they, they, they take my advice and do all these things instead of, hey, I'm just serving in a role. Yeah, I'm being paid and it is necessary to do these things, but I'm just serving in a role where I have the, uh, the honor and the privilege to uh, worship with you guys every Sunday and get to share the word of God to you, right? There's a... I'm not doing anything. The Spirit of God is doing what it does on Sunday morning, and I'm thankful for that, right? Or else y'all be in a lot of trouble, for real. Religious is wanting a microphone but not a broom. You want to be seen rather than be seen being Jesus, right? I've got really good stuff to say, so everybody should listen to me. Everybody should look like me. I obey God better than they do. Religious is quoting scriptures but not applying them. This one got me too. Just because you know the Bible doesn't mean you know Jesus, right? Like all you want to do is just beat people up with verses. Hey, you know, so-and-so told me the other day you was gossiping and I heard about it and I'm just going to remind you of all the passages found in the New Testament about gossiping. Did you know that you talking to somebody else about me gossiping is gossiping? So try applying those same verses to yourself before we start talking about it, right? You can know the verses, but it doesn't mean you, you, you know Jesus, right? Religious is when you become the solution instead of Jesus. In other words, all I know is I'm not feeling Christian, so I need to start doing all kinds of Christian things because based on my good deeds, God will be pleased with me. No, God is pleased with you because of what Christ did. Not because of what you can do. Listen, this one got me too. Religious, this is an exhaustive list. We'd be here all day and y'all need to get to KFC. Religious is getting yourself in a more comfortable situation. Well, now that I know Jesus, then I should start working towards getting our, you know, ourselves out of the Fifth Street area into a better situation because we need to look more like some of the people at church do who seem to be, you know, Good people. So you end up becoming more concerned about your 401 than the 411. 
the gospel message of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, I don't know what Bible many people claim to be Christians are reading because there's nowhere in the gospels where the disciples are living in, are, are on, in a country club. But he's not having they're being threatened. They're being chased. They're being, Jesus says, count the cost before you come to me. Because this is all about sacrifice, guys. Right? So at 47 years old, I've not thought more about my retirement and what I'm going to do in the future than I ever have in my life. I'm all concerned about a 401, which, by the way, I don't have. But how am I going to get a 401 than I am the 411? And I'm a preacher. It doesn't even make sense. Very few pulpits will be so bold with people today due to offending someone or fear that someone might question their own salvation. When Jesus clearly intended to cause Nicodemus to question what it was he believed. Guys, this is a good thing. We should always be evaluating where we stand with Jesus. I would submit to you, if you've never questioned your salvation, it's probably because you're not saved. Think about it. Before Jesus, did you sit around and worry about your sin? No. Why? Because you were dead spiritually. Sin is just what you did. But when you meet Jesus, all of a sudden, like, like I worry about what I'm watching on TV. How, do, how does that happen? Born again. And to paint you even a clearer picture of what I'm trying to communicate to you is that once Jesus is truly the Lord of your life, you want to do the things that he asks of you rather than having to do the things that he asks of you. Like, there's no burden to following Jesus. He says, my yoke is light, my burden is easy. Trusting and following me will be the best thing you ever did in your life. Right? Uh, theologians would call it the want to versus the have to. That's how you. That's the first evidence that you're a Christian is you start wanting to go to church, you start wanting to read your Bible, you start wanting to come to a prayer night on Friday night, right? Some people's like, I can't believe you're having prayer night on Friday night, man. Dad Burns, Chiefs are playing. Yeah, well, we're going to talk to a holy God that we know now because of what He's done for us. Go figure. Right? This new nature, this new desire, this, this, isn't, this wasn't something new for Nicodemus, and it shouldn't be something new to us. And so that's not why, it's not why Nicodemus didn't know. It, it wasn't like, oh, this is all the way brand new. No, it's not. It was in the Old Testament, which tells me it's not intellectual, it's spiritual. It's not intellectual. Not the smarter people trust Jesus. Right? Matthew chapter 9. The reason we are called Matthew's table is he sat at the table with prostitutes and tax collectors and whatever else, right? Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26. Listen to me. This is Old Testament. I will sprinkle clean water on you. There's the water thing. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Do you clean yourself up and go to Jesus? No, Jesus cleanses you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit that I will put within you. You want to know when the spirit dwells inside of you? The moment that you are reborn. Spirit, <laughs> spirit dwells in me when the spirit has given me a new heart 
and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Listen, I will put my spirit within you. That's capitalized S because that's a person. You know what the Holy Spirit is? It's not the Jedi force. It's the third person of the Trinity, God himself. The born-again believer has a portion of God dwelling within them. And I'll cause you. You know when somebody says, I'm about to cause you to do this? That means that they're in control. I'm not. I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Praise the Lord for that because without the Spirit living in me, I ain't trying to obey no rules. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That means you had nothing to do with your physical birth. Ask your parents. In the same way, you have nothing to do with your spiritual birth because it's an inward work with an outward sign that I've been born again. Rather than my good deeds and outward signs produce the inward work necessary. That's the difference. Religious spirits right now that's in the room, you're asking yourself, well, wait a minute, well, what do I do then? That's evidence you're wrestling with a religious spirit. He just said, there ain't nothing I can do. It's something that God does. Well, what do I do then? See that? Nothing. You can't save yourself. You guys heard me and Nick say this a hundred times. You're going to hear it a thousand more. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Also know to make a religious person squirm in their seat is to share the true gospel with a crowd of people that they can't earn their own salvation. That God has already done all the work necessary for someone to be saved. So all you have to do is, what do I do? You don't do nothing, but you'll confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Turn from your sin, trust Christ, and strive to follow Jesus with help from the Spirit to the best of their ability. That's, That's what you do if you're doing anything. Because a resident of heaven has Jesus as the president of their heart. So one of my famous preachers I've shared with you guys a thousand times is Charles Spurgeon. Well, he, he preaches the same message on John chapter 3. And I have the, the, uh, all the volumes of all of his sermons. And so I went and found what he had to say about this. And it was interesting because he uses this illustration. He's preaching the same sermon that I am right now. He talks about an American Indian that wants to become a European Englishman. Okay. That's what he says. Suppose, this is the Indian talking, suppose I change my clothes, join the right English club, start speaking English, actually move me and my family to England, would I then become an Englishman? No. You're an Indian. And ain't nothing can change that but God, right? Because faith comes from hearing the message. Romans chapter 10, faith comes from hearing the message. And it's hard and it's difficult because the gospel is offensive. It suggests that you're not good enough and you need Jesus. And so it's difficult for people to grasp because it's so contrary to our own nature. We want to do the work necessary to be good with God, and you can't. We like to rely on what we can do and see But remember, like the wind that comes and goes, so does the Spirit of God to accomplish the work of God. That's the truth. 
And while we're on truth, truth is oftentimes I am Nicodemus. I start going through motions. I default back to doing the Christian things when I'm not feeling like a Christian at all. That's my solution. Well, I should read more. I should pray more. I might call somebody and start talking to them more, right? I start playing the part. I start doing good things like a good Christian should, but only to feel better about myself. I start thinking what I do is the solution. I replace his work with my own. And on the outside, I'll look really good. I'll say the right things. I'll dress the right way. I'll go to all the right places. I'll make sure you see me doing what you think I should be doing because I don't want you to think I'm anything other than what I am when, in fact, I'm only what I am because of the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. Truth is some of us need to come to Jesus this morning because we might know him, but he don't know us. That's offensive. Let's be honest with you, right? I hope that offends somebody this morning. So you can recognize that you are separated from God because you are outside of a relationship with Christ Jesus. Truth is, others of you need to come to Jesus because you've recently started relying on your own good deeds. Truth is, some of us need to have candid conversations with our loved ones and quit being lazy, making excuses to pacify our own consciences because we just trust that maybe they'll bump into a Christian one day that might share the gospel with them. When we're not promised tomorrow. What if tomorrow never comes, but Jesus comes today? You know where they go? I'm talking to myself, guys. I have lost family members. I can tell you that I do wish that the free gift of salvation was something I could sell to you, right? But it wouldn't be free, right? And here's what I know. There was a point in time where Jesus walked the earth, 33 years. He did ministry for three of those, literally. And during that time, he had 12 disciples, one which, by the way, Think about this, like these 12 disciples, they're seeing Jesus do all these miraculous things. They're being blown away. He's teaching stuff that just never, has never been taught before. And they're like, what is going on? This is crazy, right? And like Peter walks on water and all these things happen. They had a chance to sell Jesus. They had a chance and they did. His name was Judas and he sold him to the Pharisees so that he could be crucified. So you know who you are in that story? You're Judas. And so am I. If we had a chance to sell Jesus, we would, but it wouldn't be for public gain. It would be personal gain. I can't sell Jesus, but I can tell you about him. So quickly, Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, talking to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, emphasis, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, and 8 and 9 should be on the screen there. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, so that not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Guys, he's rich in mercy. 
If you think, well, if, if this is something that God does for me, then, then what do I need to do? You don't do nothing. He's rich in mercy. His love is overwhelming. If I could attempt to explain to you the power of redemption, the power of the gospel, it'd be like some stranger calling you and being like, hey, here's the deal. We've selected you to be the proud new owner of a 25,000 brand new car. You would immediately do what? Is this a scam? What's going on here? How, how can I know this is authentic? Because I can't afford that and I haven't done nothing to get it. It's the, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I can't afford to pay for it, which is the beauty of the gospel. You're being gifted something because God covered the cost. Jesus paid it all. That's good news, guys. And all of this is like, man, that was, that was the sermon I shouldn't have picked to go to this morning. You know what I mean? Like, Maybe I'll text Roger next time, make sure I go to one where I'll leave feeling a little better. But, I mean, the whole point of this is like looking at the Scriptures and seeing, our, seeing an encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus where Nicodemus thought he was good with God, and Jesus says, you're not. This is necessary. This should be preached more from the pulpit on Sundays. Jesus loved Nicodemus. And the point of me doing this encounter was so that we could all take a serious look at where we're at right now, where we stand with God. Listen, if you are separated from God and you are outside of Christ, you know. You know. And if being brutally honest with someone is hard for you about where they stand, spiritually speaking, let me encourage you. Nicodemus later became a believer in Christ. And he was found participating with the preparation and the burial of Jesus after the crucifixion. You want to know what? Nick talked about this last weekend. Because Jesus shared scripture with him. Your homework this morning is to go read all of John chapter 3. Later on, we didn't have time. Jesus says, hey, look. Nicodemus, here's the deal. In the same way I'm telling you that if you're, you were to have eternal life, you have to trust and believe in me, is the same way when the Israelites were in the wilderness with Moses and God sent venomous snakes to bite them and they became poisonous the same way sin does. And he said that the solution for them was to look at Moses' staff. If they would look up to the staff, they would be healed and they'd be set free from the poisonous venom is the same way that if you look up to this cross and you'll recognize that I am the solution and I'm the only thing that's going to save you from the poison that you're dealing with, then you can be set free too. Right? And so we're going to close this morning in song like we always do. And I'm asking you guys to reflect on what the Word of God says, what you've heard this morning. If you don't know Jesus, you need to get to know Him today. What do you need to do? Nothing. Nothing really, but confess that you're a sinner. Like, trust him and quit trusting in you. You're not good enough and you never will be. And if that offends you, it just is what it is because Jesus is what's good. The Bible says that God desires all men and women to be saved. He's done everything necessary for salvation. So if you don't know God, he, it's not a coincidence you're here today. One, he wants you to know him. Call out, cry out, seek him, right? Because you will be saved 
is what the Bible, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. That's what you do. Get to doing it. Others of you need to evaluate your walk and be sure that religion has not crept in, that you haven't become the elder brother that robs you of the intimacy with Jesus. Because religion robs God of all the glory because man gets to do what they need to do to become right with God when God can only do what needs to be done for you to be right with him. God's done it all. He's here this morning. He's willing. His hands are spread wide open inviting you to come to him and all you got to do is be willing to say you know what I desperately need you I'm tired of trying to do things my way the altar will be open there'll be people here to pray with you know that God loves you and he desires a relationship with you hey thanks for joining us today a special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.